Guys, welcome back to another episode of SoCal Watch Review. This is episode seven. This is Miguel. I got some exciting news for you. I got my boy uh, Perry Ross, P. Ross, uh, on the line. And the announcement is that he's going to be now my permanent co-host. So, P., how are you, sir? Yo, yo, yo. What's going on? It's good, hey, man. No, it's good. Well, thank you so much for accepting my my offer or invitation to be the permanent uh, host. It was a little hard to do it by myself, but now having you... Uh, on the other line, this makes it a lot uh, easier, a lot fun, funner, I should say. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited. Absol- Thank you. Absolutely. This is your boy P. Ross in the building. Represents SoCal Watch Reviews podcast, bringing that flavor like a pack of now laters. You understand? So let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> That's exactly why I brought you on board. There's let's do no it. Way I can do that. <laughs> but we do have a special, special guest, and P. and I are super excited to have Mr. Cameron Barr uh, with us from Craft uh, and Taylor. Cam, how are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for, for uh, accepting our invitation. We, we just started this thing, and we're, we're getting some momentum. And uh, I came across uh, your channel on YouTube, and I definitely had to share it with P. We both fell in love with your content, with your personality, with everything you're doing. And, and yeah, thank you so much for... Uh, and uh, before we go any further, as our guest, Cam, what's on your wrist? Uh, well, I'm actually wearing a 626 for uh, Paul Newman Daytona from oh, 1970. Wow. So, oh, uh, wow. yeah, it's a pretty incredible watch. It's a, uh, you know, essentially it's a bicolor dial. It's, uh, it's the white dial variant, uh, which is pretty incredible. And it's also very rare. Uh, but that's what's on my wrist for, for today. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> keep on your wrist. <laughs> uh, Omega Seamaster DeVille from 64, stainless. Cool. Yeah, so. that's that's a beautiful watch. Super cool. And yeah, I know P is doing the vintage. I'm doing the vintage as well to, uh, to represent a boy Cam here, obviously wearing the Speedy uh, Automatic here uh, with that crazy patina. Uh, I love it. Reverse Panda 3511. It's a reference number. So yeah, I, I uh, that's that we're all we're wearing that in your honor, Cam. We're both Amigas, and uh, we don't have Rolexes, or else we would have done the Rolex. But <laughs> vintage represent. I love it, guys. Yeah, no, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, Cam, why don't you? Uh, so obviously, P and I, we, we know a little bit about you, but why don't you tell everybody uh, a little bit about you and about the company and how you got started in, into the hobby? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been collecting for about. I guess it's going on like 14 years, 15 years now. Mm. I guess it's a sign of, of old age, right? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, started collecting about 14 or 15 years ago. And um, I was in technology and, uh, you know, kind of came into a bit of success. And I wanted something that was uh, different and something that had meaning and purpose and uh, a, a tangible exclusivity to it. A lot of the guys that were in my peer group were, you know, going out and buying modern brand new watches. And 
um, I don't, there's nothing wrong with modern or new watches. I actually like uh, modern watches quite a bit, but um, I wanted something that was different and something that flew under the radar and something that was special uh, to me, not something that I could just kind of walk into a boutique or something like that and buy. Um, and so that's kind of what got me into uh, vintage watches. And, uh, you know, like most things in, in my life specifically, I, I can't, I'm not one of those dudes that just, you know, stops there. I have to understand every detail and understand the history behind things and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I started just reading a lot of blogs and back then books and things like that to learn about vintage watches and the history behind them and the, and the technical developments of these watches. And, um, you know, technology kind of burnt me out. I was working with a, with a bunch of, of um, really incredible people but guys that just kind of were more concerned about the P&L than um, anything else. And, and so I kind of had, a, I guess, you know, my early midlife crisis where uh, I, I decided to chase um, and do what it was that I was passionate about, which was vintage watches. And um, I started Craft and Tailored to help guys like myself who, you know, had an interest in vintage uh, get into um, you know the hobby and and to help them with collecting and um, yeah four years later here we are we have a uh, 1200 square foot or I'm sorry 1600 square foot showroom in in downtown Los Angeles and um, I've literally traveled the entire world uh, you know chasing watches and meeting people and and uh, you know it's 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 now my I think my my life's passion and my life's work uh, and so. Yeah, that's what I do full full time. That's awesome. And YouTube, you've had that for what? Just a few years. Uh, on the YouTube, I, it, actually, not not a few years at all. Um, oh, really? You know, we, oh. we yeah, we we did a couple of videos, um, maybe a year or two ago, maybe even two years ago, just to kind of test it out and just kind of for fun. But we didn't really start taking it serious until about maybe six months ago. Um, I had a friend mm -hmm. who was like, "Hey, you know." You, we have these great watch hangs and we, I come to your office and you're meeting all these great and interesting people. Why don't you do a YouTube thing? And kind of like most things in, in my life, you know, even like vintage watches, uh, I had a really good friend who pushed me kind of into doing it full time. I, I kind of was like, do you think people would really want to you know, <laughs> listen or hear me talk about this stuff? Oh, okay. Like, I, I guess, you know, I'll try it out. And so, um, yeah, we've been doing a, an interesting series um and there's a lot more in store from a youtube and from like a, a social media perspective but um you know people are always wondering what i'm wearing and what's on my wrist and why it is that i'm wearing it and all that kind of stuff so um so i started this little uh like series called what is on my wrist and basically um i talk about and review and and kind of go through the watch that i'm wearing at the time of that recording and it could be anything from you know, a Paul Newman Daytona or a rare paddock or uh, something as simple and as kind of utilitarian and cool as a Seiko. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of what's on my wrist at that moment. And we kind of go through the history and all that kind of stuff and try to make it fun and interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome channel and it's awesome what you're doing. It just has a really cool vibe to it. When I, when I first watched it, even the intro with the music and your Porsche and uh, the espresso machine there's something about it that's just like it, it I, I i mean i mean i don't know about you p what do you how'd you feel I'm, about it? i mean i really feel like it, it matched like the vintage watch thing you know what i mean mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, especially when I saw like a lot of your tattoos you got, you know what I'm saying? I'm a guy, I got a few tattoos, you know what I'm saying? And that was kind of like, okay, this guy's actually relatable. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, so that's the way I felt about it. Yeah, no. It, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that, man. I, I really do, P, because um, I, I'm just a, a normal guy who has a, has a passion and I think the thing that makes me maybe unnormal is I just, I just really embrace my passion. I really go after it. And it's one of those things where people are like, I get asked this question a lot, like, what's it like chasing your passion? And what's it like doing this? And what made you do that? And all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, you have to really love it. You know, you have to, in order for the passion to take care of you, you have to, you have to really kind of embrace it and and I'd be doing this if, if the market was bad. I'd be doing this if the market was good. I'd be doing this if the market was doing whatever. I'd be talking about the watches I talked about if they were popular or cool or uncool or whatever. You know, it's, it really is my passion. And it's something that I, I really love. And, um, you, you know, uh, and I'm me. You know, I'm not, I think for a long time, too, I was kind of afraid to, to be me. I was afraid to kind of you know, chase my passion and really pursue the things that I love so much that ultimately made me who I was as an individual. And now it's something that I just kind of have learned to uh, celebrate and just kind of do just because I want to do it. So I appreciate that feedback, man. That's, uh, that's nice to hear. And, you know, it's cool. Absolutely. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, we know your love for Venice watches, right? So what's your take on brands coming out with Venice reissues? I think it's cool. Um, I actually did a, a video, a uh, little bit of a spoiler alert here, but <laughs> we recently uh, got a, a, a Houdinki Blancpain uh, 50 Fathom. So mm. Houdinki did a collaboration with Blancpain where they kind of reissued a modern homage to the 50 Fathoms watches out of the late 1950s and early 1960s. And the, the case was, you know, smaller and the loom had uh, kind of like a, as they call it, like a fotina, right? Like uh, a little bit of a, um, like a, like a more yellowish patina. And, and I really like it. I think it's really cool. Um, I gravitate uh, towards those watches a lot because sometimes with the vintage stuff, even though I'm wearing something today that is, as one would probably say priceless, it's kind of like a blue chip watch where there's very few of them in existence and almost irreplaceable. I think that there's something that's fun and special about those watches where you know, you can kind of live with them and you can kind of, you know, wear that watch and create your own adventures with it. And that's the thing that I really like about the, the, the modern reissues, so to speak, is it's a watch that kind of has that vibe and feel and character, which makes me, you know, think about myself differently and think about a different time and place. But it's something that I can create my own adventures with. And that's, you know, something that I, I feel, uh, feel a lot um, when I, I look at those watches and, I think it's cool. You know, I, I think it's cool when brands kind of celebrate their heritage, because I think that's also what makes a lot of these brands like Rolex and Omega or Paddock or, you know, Blancpain or whatever, you know, so special is they're, they're iconically designed timepieces. They're so cool. And um, there's a lot of history and heritage there. So I think that, you know, the brands that are doing this and, and doing it right, I think it's kind of cool because you have that vintage style and aesthetic, but you have those modern watchmaking um, elements within the pieces that make them a little bit more durable and a little bit more, you know, modern and, and, and uh, fit for 
um, where in today's, uh, you know, kind of world and environment. So I think it's really cool. I think that's, that's super up. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I was going to say, it was refreshing to hear you say about the Fotina because I, I know P and, and, and me personally like the Fotina. There's a lot of haters out there that are like, oh, they're trying to be, you know, that vintage look and this and that. But what they need to understand, and, and you hit the nail right on the head cam, it, it's a watch made from yesteryear to be able to wear in today's uh, as an everyday watch because I don't like wearing my vintage watches for many different reasons. One of them, water resistance. It's like, right. I know I could get it tested or whatever, but I, it's just like, I'd rather just get something new and know that it's already, it's new and, and it looks old, but it's new, you know? So, yeah, it's, that's cool. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's almost like, not not to dwell too much on the, on the the on the question or that topic, but I think the thing that's kind of interesting too is you look at some some automotive brands out there like Singer mm. Porsche, right? Like Singer did a really good job of, of creating kind of the ultimate Porsche 911. And, you know, although the price point is, is kind of crazy for a Singer, the wait list is like, you know, two years and the price is pushing a million dollars for some of the cars that they put out. But they basically have, have kind of created that classic 911, which um, is also very functional and reliable and kind of in the modern era with those classic, you know, styling elements. So, I'm a big vintage Porsche guy for sure. Um, but I like, you know, brands like Singer too, as a, as a Porsche purist, you know, I don't hate on those kind of modified, um, modified things, but I also look at them for what they are. I don't, I don't think that it's, you know, the brands out there in kind of bringing this back into watches. I don't, I don't think they're trying to dupe anybody. And as a vintage dealer and, and a guy that is a, is a vintage, you know, watch enthusiast and considered by a lot of people to be an expert, I wouldn't, um, I don't hate on that. I, I also look at it for what it is very much in the same way that you do. I, I don't think that they're trying to encroach on the vintage market or, or anything like that. I think they're trying to kind of fill that gap between functionality and also a, a stylistic detailing that is, um, you, you know, kind of more classic, but still functional. So I think it's cool. Yeah, I, I like the fact that uh, the companies are actually embracing their past. And we, you know, if, you, if you're talking automotive, um, I'm thinking of the Mustang a few years ago, right? They brought back that body style. And now you see it everywhere. I mean, it, it was a massive success for them. So in the watch industry, same thing. A lot of these vintage issues are, are selling very well for them. So there's just absolutely no reason why they shouldn't do it, you know? So I think it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, I know you had a question about this yeah. uh, turtle that we were yeah. kind of talking about. Yeah. That right, right. Um, we recently saw your video about the Seiko turtle, the 6309. Yeah, um, the 6309-7040. Yeah. Yep. yeah, it was refreshing to see someone that deals with very high-end exclusive pieces. Talk about a brand like Seiko. Me and Miguel, we, we kind of love Seiko. Well, I ain't going to mm-hmm. say kind of. I'm no, we do. We love Seiko. <laughs> so, what's your take on watches that are in the sub one thousand dollar range? I I think they're awesome. You know, and as a collector, I, I think one of the things that uh, people are really surprised uh, about when when we talk is that um, you know I'm actually a collector. There's watches in my collection that I just won't sell, and some of those watches are very exclusive and again, priceless. And some of them are, are kind of simple. Um, I have a couple of tutors in my personal collection. I have, I have a couple of Seikos in my vintage collection. I have a Jaeger LaCultra that is in my vintage collection. Um, and, you know, some of these watches again are, are sub $1,000 watches. Like I think the 6309, which is one of my favorite watches in my collection. 
it, it's actually, I think, my most favorite watch in my collection. Mm. Um, I think you can get those watches for like five to six hundred bucks, you know, for a good example. Um, and I think they're great. I, I think that, you know, watches, um, you know, create an experience for me and, and invoke emotions and, and all of those things. And, you know, that Seiko 6309 to me, um, the story behind it is I actually met a really great, um, you know, peer within the industry and a great friend. His name is Eric Wind. And Eric Wynn was the president of, of Christie's Watches and, um, you know, owns a company called Wind Vintage, who's a, who's a, a peer and a counterpart of mine in, in the, the vintage business. And uh, Eric and I actually bought Seiko's together. We were at a vintage show in Miami. There was a, a kind of an old school watch dealer kind of uh, watchmaker there at the show. And he had some really cool Seikos in his case. And I bought a 6309, you know, Seiko Turtle. And Eric bought a Pogue. Oh, um, nice. And, um, you know, those are two watches that, um, that are, are kind of inexpensive, but very cool and very historically relevant. And there's a lot of pop culture and history behind those two watches. And it was also kind of a, um, uh, you know, the mark of a, a, the start of a really good friendship and, and kind of almost watch brotherhood between Eric and I. So um, that, that's why I love that watch. And it's very cool. And, you know, what's even more interesting is, I travel with that watch. I literally have been around the world twice with that watch. I've been to Bali. I've been to Paris. I've been to London. Um, you know, I, I, I went to Hong Kong recently and I, I brought that watch with me. And, and um, you know, it's one of my most favorite, most coveted watches. And I think that vintage and, and cool watches and uniqueness and independent taste and style doesn't have to be expensive at all. Um, you know, and the other thing that, that's interesting is good quality doesn't, doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, exclusively expensive either, right? Um, some things are rare because they're limited in production, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, of a high build quality. And um, that's the thing that I love about Seiko and some of the sub $1,000 watches, you know, you don't have to, you know, spend 15, 20, 30, 100, whatever thousand dollars to have something that is cool and unique and of quality. So um, that's the reason why I did the video on the Seiko and and we actually, I'll look for watches like that. It's funny. We'll post a, you know, 200 plus thousand dollar Paul Newman on our site. And then right next to it will be a $450 Seiko turtle uh, <laughs> because I believe in the watch and I love the watch. And I think that, um, you know, people that are getting into watches um, should have something that is accessible and fun and cool uh, and, and not really pretentious. I don't think that I look at things from a, from kind of a, a pretentious perspective either. Or I, at least I try hard not to because, I think that this stuff should be experienced and explored and, and be fun and cool. So that's kind of my little background on the, uh, the 6309 for sure. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful watch. Beautiful watch. Yeah. No, Thanks, I, man. And I, yeah. I, I like the fact, I mean, you, you said something about Eric Wynn, right? That you connected on a different level. And that's such a, such a cool thing about our hobby is we could all be have different opinions on politics and religion and, and whatever. I mean, I could go on and on and we, we all, we're all different uh, nationalities and, and ethnicities or whatever. But when it comes to watches, we could all kind of speak the same language. Even if somebody likes a Rolex, somebody likes a Paddock or somebody likes a Seiko, you all appreciate the craftsmanship and the artistry behind it. Right. So that's, that's super cool. My, that's my take on it. So. Yeah, thanks, man. And and I know something that you and I kind of talked about, uh, Cam, and off the air uh, was perceived value. 
And I think you you had like a really good story about Louis Vuitton and what people think and watches were built a different way before than how we see them now. So I don't know if you care to share with the listeners a little bit about perceived value versus actual monetary value. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, uh, one of the things that's really interesting about vintage watches and, and uh, you know, kind of kind of perceived value and tangible value and things like that is it didn't always start off that way. And I think that things that are now considered a luxury item, um, and I see this consistently throughout different brands and things that, that, you know, I think are cool and have an iconic history to them. But uh, I think something that's very interesting is if you look at a brand like Louis Vuitton, you know, not many people know the story or the history or heritage behind Vuitton. And he was a guy that, you know, worked in, in Paris in the hotel industry and um, he was like a like a bellman, like a like a bellboy, and he handled people's luggage all the time. And he, you know, basically saw that you know the luggage that people were, um, you know, it, it wasn't built well, it wasn't built, um, you know, to to a high standard. So what you know, Mr. Vuitton did is he went out and he created his own luggage company, and he created the the highest quality luggage. Um, you know, that, that he could possibly make. And what ended up happening is the affluent or the well-off, you know, type of customer could afford that type of quality in a piece. And that's kind of how a lot of these watch companies initially started is it was about creating something of quality and something that was of precision and of high manufacturing. And it didn't really translate into a luxury item until much, much later. So we see that with a lot of like brands like Hermes, um, Louis Vuitton, you know, Rolex and Cartier and things like that. Um, you know, maybe Cartier and Paddock being on, on more of the luxury side or what we would consider kind of like the, the jewelry side a little bit. But if you look at a brand like Rolex, like Rolex was making, you know, dive watches that could withstand certain pressures, you know, back in the, the 1950s and into the 60s that, um, you know, were serving a, a purpose and in, in, in a, in a, creating a, a, a functional element to the watch that was needed for technical requirements within that era and time and kind of same thing with like Louis Vuitton and, and some of these other luggage manufacturers and things like that and, and other 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 companies right it wasn't about creating something that was it, it per, would, that had this perceived value of affluence or, or luxury it was about creating something of high quality and high build and um, that's one of the things that I, I really love about a lot of these watches as well like Rolex and Blancpain and, and or like a brand like Doxa creating dive watches in the 1960s and into the 70s that were serving a purpose and, and providing a functionality that was needed um, based on a set of requirements um, that were being pushed, right? Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about watches and things like that um, from that perspective um, instead of, you know, kind of the, the, the status symbol that they've ultimately become. Like you see a Rolex today and you're like, oh, that guy must have money or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, you know, back in the day, it it wasn't looked at like that, you know? Um, So, yeah, kind of interesting. So you think that was the, uh, when they first built these Rolexes and started coming out like the sub and everything, you really think that Rolex just strictly wanted it to be a tool watch or they had uh, hopes that it would become a luxury item and and be kind of a contender like with the Paddocks and the Cartier? Um, I think it... um... I think maybe a mix of both, you know, Rolex um, created the first waterproof case or one of the first waterproof cases, I should say. Um, 
And so I think that they were pushing the technical boundaries. And I think that Rolex still as a company is doing that. Uh, same thing with Omega and, and a lot of the other companies, right? Like, you, you know, developing like hair from hairsprings and the coaxial escapements and leveraging those technologies and in, in their watches. I think that, you know, these companies are, um, uh, you know, pushing the technical uh, elements of what it is that they're creating. And I think that that's what they, what they do as a, as a company. You know, I, I think that there definitely is a luxury brand kind of element, right? Like Louis Vuitton now, their bags are still high quality and things like that, but they're ultimately um, very much a luxury house, right? They're a brand that is a luxury brand. So, um, you know, I, I think that, that they are that now, and maybe they, they definitely market and kind of push the customer towards that kind of exclusivity and things like that, especially with the ridiculous wait lists and all that kind of stuff. But, um I don't know if it was their intent necessarily to be a, a luxury house, right? I, I think it was maybe a, a little bit of both, especially considering that Rolex did have things that were um, more kind of like in the jewelry or high fashion side instead of just the tool watches. I think for Rolex and maybe even Omega, it was a blend of, of both. But um, I don't think that they initially set out to, to, to be that, you know, um, especially if you look at fine watchmaking like way, way, way back, right? Um, yeah. I think it's I think it's kind of a mix of both. Oh, that's interesting mm. to say that. Yeah. Well, what's your take on it, P? Hello. Oh, sorry. Hey. I said, what's your, what's your take on it, P? Okay. Uh, well, as far I think the uh, the story about Louis Vuitton is very very interesting. I was a Louis Vuitton guy there for a while. Um. Just knowing, like, because I had saw that story on the podcast you had did with, uh, you told that same story on the podcast. Uh, what was the podcast, Miguel? Um, with with Dean Del Rey. Yeah, yeah. Dean Del Rey. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, that you, was you an told, amazing podcast. Yeah, you told that same story, and then like, I got to thinking, like, not I, I, I have a couple Louis Vuitton goods, but I've sold a lot of stuff, but uh. Um, I think the 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 Rolex. I think they all aspire to be somewhat of luxury goods. You know what I mean? Um, like regardless from like even like a company like Invictus. I mean, as as crazy as this may sound, you know. They aspire to be up there with companies like Rolex and you know what I mean? <laughs> like they do, they do. You know what I mean? So um which brings me to my next question. Um, what's your take on the current current Rolex bubble? Is Rolex trying to position itself as a protect Philippe or AP? Um uh, are, are they holding back certain models? You know what I mean? Yeah. To uh, make more money, and you know. Yeah. So is Rolex? The question is: Is is Rolex creating a false sense of exclusivity right. by holding watches and creating a, a limited uh, uh, supply and and something like that? Right. Right. And right. Is there a bubble to that? Right. Because I, I, I was I understood that Rolex like they made like maybe a million watches a year. I think something like that. And I guess production has slowed down, so they say. You know, so I was just kind of like wondering about that. 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's a question that I get asked frequently, especially since a lot of the watches that we deal in and or have dealt in, um, uh, you know, are sometimes considered, uh, you know, investments. And I think that watches in the past five to 10 years, especially on the vintage side, have moved into that um, recognition of being, uh, you know, a uh, an asset class of its own. So, um, yeah, I, I think that what's interesting about that is that uh, there is, I, I think that, that that is going on. I think that, that uh, you know, they might be holding that back and, and delaying production. And it's kind of a bummer to me because, um, you know, Rolex was uh, uh, was a company that, you know, was accessible and created, you know, tool, tool watches and things like that. But I, I think that, you know, if you look at Paddock and AP, the process in which they uh, create their watches is a lot different than the way that Rolex create the watch. You know, there's still a lot of hand finishing and, and kind of bespokeness, if that's a word, um, to those watches, which actually tangibly limits the supply, where Rolex is a very mechanized company leveraging, you know, technology to ultimately create their watches. So I think there's a, a bit of a bubble. And I think that, you know, ultimately... Um, you know, Rolex will, will, the, the production will catch up with, you know, the available supply. So, um, I think that there is a bit of a bubble there. And I think in, inevitably steel watch production within Rolex will catch up with, you know, dem, with, with demand. So supply will catch up with demand on the secondary market. And I think that we'll see prices go down. I've already started to see that a little bit, you know, I've already started to see, you know, for example, right now in the past you know week i've had a ceramic daytona that was full set black dial and i have two batman jubilee uh, batman gmt's one is a jubilee and one is an oyster right oh wow um and i'm a guy that doesn't even really look for that stuff it's just you know stuff that has kind of come to me through different trades and different opportunities so i'm definitely seeing that stuff and the market for sure has 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 changed the rolex batman jubilees were trading at the time of this recording uh you know uh, about you know, two months ago at 17, 17,500. And as of right now, they're trading at maybe 13, 5, 14 max, right? Mm. So even in the past two months, three months, we've seen prices kind of start to drop on stuff like that, um, wow. which I think is cool for the, for the consumer and for the, for the market because these watches are now going to become more accessible. But I think the problem is that, uh, you know, uh, th there are people that, you know, I bought these watches at 20 and 30,000 when they were new and unavailable. And, you know, those are depreciating assets. So it's kind of a, a, a bit of a, a bummer um, for those guys that bought high. But I, I don't think you should buy a watch for, for that reason. I think even at the investment level, you should buy a watch because you really like it and because you have a connection with the piece and because you, you know, have a taste about things versus just buying it just to buy it or buy it just for an investment, especially modern pieces where, Rolex is really able to crank out a lot of watches because of mechanized technology that exists now that didn't exist, you know, in the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, I think we're seeing a natural progression of, of, of technology um, from a mechanized perspective, increase the amount of, you know, production and things like that for everything, cars, watches, bags, plates, forks, knives, you know, it's, uh, it's inevitable, right? We live in a very technical age which you know things from a consumable perspective become a lot more readily available um and that's one of the things that i really like about vintage too is there is a tangible um 
uh, uniqueness um, based sometimes on the quality of watch or, or, or total number of watches that are actually out there based on the production um, of watches from an era uh, as a result of the way that those watches were being made, right? So um, that's another kind of stuff of thing that I love about vintage. But um, to answer your question specifically, P, yeah, I think that watches are, uh, and, and Rolex in, in particular, I think there is a bubble and I think watches will come down just based on the available supply catching up with, with the demand of the market. So, yeah, I think that there is a bubble. Right. And you said something else very interesting about Venice watches and the quality of Venice watches. Uh, since I've been kind of dealing with Venice watches lately, I kind of find that the quality of Venice watches can't be touched. You know what I mean? Like, there's a certain... Uh, uh, the way they were built, it seemed like they were built more to last than some of the pieces now. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. You know, you look at um, you know some of the brands out there today making different things. And Rolex, Paddock, AP, you know, all these other watches are, um, it, it, they're still very high quality, right? I'm not, I'm not, you know, talking smack so to speak on on those watches right all. right absolutely but i i think that the 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 circumstances in which a lot of these watches were built in the past i think it was like you you're gonna buy this rolex and you're gonna have this watch for you know the rest of your life whereas today you're like yeah you know i'm gonna have a batman and i'm gonna wear that for a year and then i might get over that and i might then go after this and that and the other thing and and i think that um i think that the time and place that we live in is, you know fashion and cars and things like that they're it's kind of disposable you know and i and i kind of feel bad for for the for the ladies out there because <laughs> you know these high quality like couture things right that are that are made and expensive it's like they're in for a season and then they're out and you're like oh i just bought this bag and i paid like you know ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars for this bag but um you know now they're you know now it's the season change and this bag is out right, right. and it and so I, I think as a guy, sometimes we have, it's like you buy a pair of jeans or a pair of boots and you're like, all right, you know, this is like my classic style and this is what I'm going to wear forever. Um, I, I think things were built like that more so back in the day where, you know, you would build a, a watch or, or make something and the, and the idea behind it was, it was that you would buy it and it would last you a lifetime. Whereas today, now I think the consumer market um looks at things differently and they look at things much more from the, from a disposable perspective as, as they once did. So I think you see that in the quality and then the finishing and in the craftsmanship, like for example, some of the, um, like the, the paddock automatic watches out of like the 1950s and the 1960s, mm -hmm. if you open up, you know, the, the case back of those watches and you look at the finishing in those movements, it's incredible, right? Like, the rotor itself is finished. The bridges are finished and, and they have a, what would be called a perlage, you know, there's perlage on the inside of the case back. And, and these are things that you would never even see as the consumer, right? Like as the average guy wearing a paddock in the sixties or the seventies, you're not going to open up your watch and look at the movement to make sure that the bridge or the case back is finished or whatever. Right. right. But it was like a maker's mark. It was such high quality back then that all these things had like a very specific level of finishing on them that I don't think you really have now just because it's like, oh, this is going to be in one minute and out the next. And so um, kind of interesting to look at it from that perspective, for sure. That's awesome. Well, in, in my opinion, you hit a lot of points and I'm writing things down because I'm like, oh, man, you're hitting so many good points. 
as far as the disposable market and, and it's crazy to think of something disposable that's in the in the luxury uh sector because money is very hard to come by at least for me and for p and for a ton of people here in the u.s and even people listening across the world um we're talking about thousands of dollars it's not something disposable but i think a lot of these that social media has had a huge influence on, on society, not just in the watch industry, but in everything as a whole. And obviously, Rolex is a huge player, of a great marketing house, and that's what really made them what they are now. But I really think that maybe people back in the day had the mindset of, I'm going to spend my money, buy something good, and this is going to last me a lifetime. And they were okay with it. They were happy. But as a society now, and us being a younger generation, maybe we don't look at things that way, and we want more, and we want more, and we want more. And in my personal opinion, that's a problem because I don't have that specific mindset. I buy something for it to last, and I'm not trying to buy the next thing, and I'm, I'm not a hype beast or whatever you want to call it, you know? So right. that's just kind of my take on that. And then also... Cam uh, said something very interesting about uh, uh, people that are buying things as an investment. Now, I, I've heard a lot of different takes from different people. Some people say buy a watch because you love it, not because it's an investment. But I understand when these guys have a ton of money and they have that kind of money to buy a Daytona, a vintage Daytona or a vintage sub or something, they obviously look at the monetary value in that and say, okay, is this going to go up in value? And they look at things differently. But in my opinion, it's like if you're going to buy something, buy it because you love it, not because of how much it's going to be worth. And to be honest, I don't feel bad for those people that bought a Batman a few months ago for 17, 18, and now it's worth 13. Because I can assure you that those specific people have that kind of disposable income, and it's not going to hurt their pocket. It's going to hurt their ego because now they made a dumbass decision. But whatever, what, what does it really matter, you know? So, yeah, and I think a lot of those people, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking smack on them at all. I, I think preference is preference, and you know, I, I you know, I, I have my own opinions about things, but I'm kind of, you know, I. I kind of just listen to self, you know, and it, I'm not trying to get all like philosophical and please do, Cam. Yeah, that's you, what but... we do on the show. We talk <laughs> yeah. politics, religion, sexual orientation. Right. There <laughs> it is. It. Yeah. Um, there it is. But, um, but you know, I kind of just, I, I kind of just like what I like and do what that's I do cool. because I, I, I do it. And, and I'm, I guess for me, if I can inspire somebody to, to be into something and to have a perspective and taste on something, I think that's one of my ultimate goals in, in doing this is, you know, I drive a vintage 911 because I really love vintage 911s. I, I've always loved vintage 911s, even from when I was a kid. Um, and I love the brand of, of Porsche. Um, you know, I, I listen to records and vinyl because I think it's uh, an inter- interesting way to listen to an artist's composition of tracks and, and music and, and things like that versus just kind of digitally listening to it and, I do a lot of the things that I do because I like them, not necessarily because they're, you know, in or out of, out of fashion. Um, but I, but I think, you know, what, what yields that type of um, response to the market and what yields that kind of, uh, uh, I guess, consumerism, if we want to call it that is technology. Right. And, yeah. you know, you look at your phone, it, it's like, I hate paying so much money for for you know like a brand new phone or or or, or something like that because you know that in six months another phone's going to come out and that one's going to be obsolete and um you know I, I hate to say this and i think that technology is cool because i i come out of that that sector right i relied on my customers needing to refresh their technology <laughs> in order to sell them more that Correct. Yep. you know that was my job for a really long time 
um, but I I have this thing that that, and I, I know I'm probably gonna offend some people, but I, but you know I, this is just my opinion. I have on the tachometer tachometer of my Porsche, I have this little like stamped out sticker that says "fuck your Tesla." Yep. And right. um, the reason why I feel that way is because that Tesla, even though it's a great piece of technology and it's an innovation in itself and all of that stuff, it is going to become obsolete. And so this status item and this luxury item and this kind of perceived element of, of exclusivity really isn't that exclusive and really isn't that sustainable because in you know two years or in six months or in five days, that technology platform is going to become obsolete. And that's something that I really love. And, and something that I think is, is incredible, but ultimately it's something that I don't really holistically believe in because I like something that, you know, stands the test of time and remains an icon and a classic. And, you know, talking about, you know, my vintage 911 and my obsession with these things, it's like my 1975, you know, 911 is always going to be a 1975 911. It's always going to feel the same and create the same experiences and emotions. And some of these things kind of just continue to get better over time. Um, you know, and that's the, the wonderful thing about vintage. So I think that, you know, it, I, I, I don't necessarily fault the consumer. I did, it's just kind of the time and place that we're in where things are so consumable and moving so fast that, of course, like, you know, this item of luxury and status is, of course, going to become dated and obsolete. And it's kind of a bummer, you yeah. know. So, no, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and and speaking of technology, I know a lot of people hate on, on Apple watches. I have my take on them, whatever. My wife has one and, and it, you know, they're cool. But I think, uh, again, you spoke, uh, you said something very interesting. So technology just evolves so quickly and, and tomorrow really uh, a new technology comes out or whatever and your, your thing becomes obsolete. As uh, in regards to mechanical watches, I mean, you could talk uh, uh, 1930s and still be relevant and, and working. And, uh, you know, an Apple Watch, I mean, with all the updates and whatnot, it's, it's really irrelevant. You can't even use it after uh, a few years. And that's just one example. And, and, and I love your example of your Porsche. I, I feel the same way as well. So I like Tesla, so I don't, I don't go too as far as to do what, <laughs> you know, your feelings towards that. But uh, and then as far as the finishing, just to kind of backtrack a little bit uh, when you're talking about the finishing of the vintage versus the modern. Of course, I can't speak to that because I haven't been around as much as you have, Cam. I mean, you, you're in the industry. We're just enthusiasts. But something uh, Mr. Jack Forrester said in one of the Hibinki, uh podcasts is very interesting. And I, I need to do a little more research on this, but it really struck a chord with me. Uh, and, and he said something in regards to, he was comparing Grand Seiko or the Japanese to the Swiss. And he was saying how they both have this mentality of finishing things correctly and done correctly. And the reason why is because the Swiss, uh, I don't know if it's still relevant, but I know this is more like back in the day, they felt like God was watching. And them being, you know, in Christianity, they felt like they had to finish everything and do everything correctly and not cut any corners because there was a higher being watching over them. And I thought that was very intriguing. Same thing for the Japanese. Obviously, they believe in different things, but they have the same mentality of we need to do this correctly and not cut any corners. Even if nobody's going to be looking at the internals, it's more a sense of pride and, uh, and ownership, really, because this becomes their baby. They just created something. So I thought that was super interesting you know and I, I didn't even know that I, I didn't even think about that so that's that's super cool 
Good. Yeah, I actually was at an event with uh, Jack with Jack from Houdinki, um maybe two or three weeks ago. I, I'm on a lot of airplanes and, uh, you know, I, I'm literally bumping around the world a lot, but um, so I kind of lose track of time. But uh, I was at an event with Grand Seiko um, in, in Los Angeles and there's watches there that are incredible. Like watches, even as a vintage connoisseur and dealer of watches that... I was blown away mm-hmm. by, you right. know, and such value and things that I think are, are actually timeless. Believe it or not, to say that a, lot, a modern watch today could be a timeless object, I think is very relevant and very much apparent with Grand Seiko. They're pushing the, the boundaries of design, but there's such a, a, a craftsmanship and such a classicness to those watches that, you know, there's some watches there that are 5,000 that really should be like 50,000 yep. because of, you know, the finishing and things like that. So going back to like, our, our beginning discussion of, of, you know, buying something that's cool, but not at a, you know, a hundred or two hundred thousand dollar price point. I think you can find that in brands like Grand Seiko and Jack is a huge um, ambassador for them. And he, you know, the cool thing about Jack is he's, he's a no bullshit guy. He really, you know, likes things and has a really good valuable opinion on things. And I, I really respect and value guys that got in the industry. And uh, he's a big proponent of Grand Seiko. Um, even in their vintage pieces, like the vintage Grand Seiko's, they're they're incredible. And I think there's a lot of value in watches like that, and they're kind of sleepers, which I really like because it allows guys like you and I to go out and find those watches and enjoy them and not pay, Premiums. you know, a crap ton of money for them. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's cool, and I've heard a lot of people say if you want to impress non-watch people, you buy a Rolex. If you want to impress watch enthusiasts, you buy a Grand Seiko. And I agree 100%. Yep. And, and it's cool that Grand Seiko is making such a push to the market and trying to market themselves a little bit more because people are really sleeping on, on Grand Seiko. And something that happened to me, and that has nothing to do with Grand Seiko, but I was wearing my Seiko Sarp, the 33. And mm-hmm. one of my coworkers, yep. um, he saw it. He's like, hey, that's a cool little watch. What is it? And he saw the, the name on it, right? The brand. He's like, oh, Seiko. Oh, don't they make like calculators or something? Is that like a cheap watch? And it just really hurt my ego, to be honest with you. And, and it, it just kind of hurt in, in general because I'm like, God, man, like people that are not watch people, they just don't know. And it's like, I'm not going to go about to explain this whole thing because he's not going to care. He doesn't care about watches. So Seiko really needs to step it up. And I think they're doing the right thing. You know, they're, they're moving in different directions. And Grand Seiko definitely gets my kudos, you know. So I would love to own it. So absolutely. Oh, yeah. They're looking great. For real, like, yeah, no, for sure. Now, uh, Cam, mm. we're speaking about Jack, and I respect Jack. Obviously, I don't know him, but I've, I've heard him talk plenty of times. Very intelligent individual, uh, very insightful. Uh, but obviously, he's from Houdinki, and I know that you run in the same circle as Houdinki, and Houdinki being a huge influencer in this whole watch game. Yeah. Um, how, how does it feel like? And and not not to take away anything from you because you are badass, my friend, and we you are you are a person to watch in the watch industry. And to be honest with you, you are an influencer. And if you're not influencing other people, which you, I, I'm sure you are, you're influencing me personally, just your style, your take, the way you speak, the things you like, you're influencing me. And I, I like it. But how does it feel running in the same circle as these guys? Well, one, I uh, am flattered by your, uh, your, your, your comments there. And again, I, Thanks for having me on the show. I'm honored to be on your show and to have been interviewed by you guys. Um, I don't really like to think of myself as an influencer. I like to think of myself as somebody who in, in, inspires people and because that's my ultimate intent. Like, 
you know, when I'm out in the world doing what it is that I do or when I'm writing about different things or talking about it, I, I want to inspire other people to, you know, explore their own passions and, and look at this stuff maybe in a similar way that I do, but also in, in, a, in a way that's unique to themselves. So I really appreciate that, that, um, that comment. And, and again, thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor for me. Um, I guess running in that circle, so to speak, is, is interesting. Like, Ben is a great guy. Um, Jack is a great guy. I love Houdinki. Um, I think they're, they're really, they've created something that's really great. And I think the cool thing about Houdinki is um, they inspire a lot of people as well. And so they're, in a, in a way, like my heroes. And I think what Ben did um, by starting the blog and kind of doing that and writing about things is incredible because it's gotten a lot of people very interested in things that they might not have other, otherwise been interested in. Right. Matter of fact, I was at the Houdinki offices yesterday and then, and then the day before. I'm currently in New York and kind of bumping around. And I'm actually, I, I'm a guy that multitasks quite frequently. So uh, sorry for the background noise. No, but okay. um, I think it's incredible. And um, I feel honored to be included in a lot of their stuff. And, you know, the, the, the thing too is if I'm inspiring people, that's one thing. But I'm also constantly inspired um, by other watch blogs and other guys and, and, and things like that. And that's the great thing about this community is um, we inspire each other. At that, at that level, I think, um, you know, you're, you're around some very interesting people. We have a lot of celebrity customers and, and guys that are, are very influential that, you know, are now kind of my friends. And the thing that I think is very interesting is that um, when, you get it, when you get to a certain place with your collecting, you're, you, you're, it's not even about flossing a piece or, or collecting something to one up somebody. It's about sharing an experience and sharing a passion. And that's the thing that, that I think is so special about that. So um, yeah, it's cool. I, I, it's, it's cool to be included in some of this stuff. I've, I've been asked by a lot of people to provide feedback or write articles and to provide my opinion on things. And um, you know, it makes me feel special that somebody would even care about, you know, my perspective and or, you know, opinion. So it, it's cool. Well, you're you're a very special guy. You're super cool, and we, no, thank you for being on the show. P and absolutely, P and I are super absolutely. honored. We were uh, super excited. We're like I said in the beginning, we're a small podcast, like really small compared to anybody else. But to have somebody of your caliber uh, meet with us or, or talk with us, and we're just enthusiasts. We're not in the watch uh, world at all, like like you are. It's super cool, but. Speaking of Houdinki, how do you feel about all the limited releases that they're putting out? I mean, they have some incredible stuff, and, and they always sell out. It doesn't even matter the price. They constantly sell out. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, honestly, and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that really expresses a very honest and direct opinion. Um, and I, I like, I, you know, love Ben. I love Houdinki. I love the brand. I love what, what it is that they've created. I think there's been some hit or misses, you know, I think that there's been some really incredible things that they've done. And I think there's been some not so incredible things they've done. I think that that's the fun of doing this is that, you know, they're able to, to, to do things and, and, um, you know, kind of play with these brands and experiment with stuff. And I, I think it's been really a, a fun and, and cool thing for them to do. I mean, when we started the, the show, I was talking about the Houdinki, uh, you know, Blanc Pond. I think that that is a, an incredible watch and an incredible watch for a lot of different reasons. Um, it's a watch that really spoke to me. And it was a watch that I acquired without really wanting to 
um, pay a premium for it. I think the price point was really cool, and I think it was a, a fun watch to the enthusiast. The other thing, too, is they made 100 of those watches, not, you know, 10,000, not 5,000. So I think it's tangibly exclusive. I think there actually is a real deal limited uh, element to those watches because there's only 100 of them. You know, it's not even a watch that's offered in the Blanc Pond catalog. So I think that that's pretty special. So I think, you know, I take the limited edition stuff with a grain of salt, but also I think it, I, I look at it on a case-by-case basis. Some of the stuff I think is really cool and some of that I'm like, okay, that's just a marketing <laughs> thing and that's not really, you know, for me. Yeah. But No, for sure. Well, but, yeah. I, 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 uh, one of the watches that they released that I thought was pretty cool was that Oryx, that 65 that Diver. I, I love that watch. So for me, that was a win. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, that's that's super cool thanks for uh letting us know about that is there anything in the future for you though that you want to work with a brand put a limited edition out or could that be a dream for you or yeah you know the one thing that, that is kind of funny as like a quote-unquote influencer and or brand ambassador or whatever you want to call it um is that i kind of i think sometimes maybe people are a little bit scared because i just give them the like the no bullshit mm-hmm. feeling um and so um, if I did work with a brand and we might do that, and I think that would be a fun place to, to get to, um, I think I would be very specific and very true to what I loved if I was being asking, if I was asked for, you know, my design input on some of these things. Um, and we get, you know, hit up a lot to, to do certain things or to, to promote certain things. And if I don't really like love it or if I'm not into it, I, I won't promote it the last thing that I actually think about in doing what it is that I'm doing is the money. Um, it's never been about the money for us. I don't, you know, I'm not creating a YouTube channel and, and I, I don't, we don't, we don't need, you know, the, the money. We do this stuff and we talk about this stuff and we promote this stuff because we really love it. Like I shoot like a cameras because I really love them. I just did a, I was just in Hong Kong for nine days and I shot the like a Q2 in Hong Kong and did a review on that. And, uh, <clears throat> that was a sponsored thing that we did, but I really loved the Leica Q and I wanted to experience it. And I gave some pretty candid feedback on that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it would be cool to do some of that stuff. And I, you know, um, I think it would be fun to do some collaborations, but, um, we also say no a lot just because I'm very true to what it is that we do and what it is that I feel. I'm not really influenced by, by money or, or the fame or any of that kind of stuff. I just kind of like, doing what i do and being who i am and you know that so, kind of stuff so that's kind of my that's cool so it's fair to say that you rejected you rejected the movement offer is that <laughs> when they came to you <clears throat> collaboration i'm just kidding um no no thanks that's that's super awesome um yeah i think it's really respectable that you know you do it for the love of it instead of for the money aspect you know what i mean so i think that's definitely dope so yeah, kudos to Absolutely. you. Yeah, you can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what, man? Like, I reach out to people all the time. Like, if I think something is cool or or whatever, like, I just reach, I just pick up the phone. I call people. I'm like, hey, I really like what you're doing. I like your art. I like your your style. I like your passion. You know, so I would encourage other people, you know, regardless of where they're at, to pick up the phone or or send a DM or or whatever. I get, you know people sending me DMs all the time. And sometimes um, it's hard for me to respond to the DMs because um, we get so many a day and we get so many emails. And sometimes people get a little bit 
like bummed out that I don't or we don't respond to them. I try to respond to everything as fast and as best as I can. Um, but um, yeah, like there, there's a couple guys that are, you know, like I can't believe you responded back and thanks for you know, and I'm I'm an enthusiast, man. Like I'm just like you. I'm the same guy. I I like you know vintage watches across the board, whether they're a million or you know two million dollars or whether they're two grand. You know, I spend just as much time with a guy who is buying his first vintage Datejust or his Seiko as I do with a guy that is buying, a, you know, a $500,000 Paul Newman or a million dollar paddock or something like that, you know, um, to me, it's, it's kind of all the same. And again, I know that might sound weird, but price point and exclusivity and all that kind of stuff is really looked at kind of secondarily when I talk about and look at this stuff and, and do all this. So, um, yeah, I appreciate so yeah. that, man. I, I, I could attest to that because on my YouTube channel, I only have 240 subscribers. I don't have a ton of videos, and I reached out to Cam because I saw his video, his channel, and Cam, you responded to me, and and you, uh, we started DMing each other, and that's how we put this whole thing together. So yeah, I, I appreciate that, and I, I love the fact, and I, I P, I know you could attest to this. We both hate snobs, the pretentious people with oh, money, yeah. or because you own something, you're better than somebody else. Let me tell you, my friend, you are not just because you own something expensive you have more money it doesn't make you a better person than than somebody else so cam totally. i appreciate you uh being the way that you are please don't change clearly you're not because you have the success and we can see it <laughs> and, and you're still just a humble guy and hopefully hey one day we could uh meet up people a piece and in, in, in a completely different state you and i are in cali so hopefully we could link up but hey P, if you're down here i will I would love to meet with Cam and shake your hand and, and, and thank you personally. And, and yeah, just look at all your wonderful watches in your, in your uh, collection or that you sell in, in your shop. That'll be awesome. Yeah. And if you're ever in, you know, downtown Los Angeles, we'd love to have you come by our showroom and, and have a watch hang. You know, that's one of the things that I really love about this. And part of the reason why we, you know, created our showroom and are doing what we're doing is, you know, I think these things should be experienced and, and enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're in the neighborhood, give me a call. would love No. And uh, hang out. So. Cool, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Will do. So, uh, Pete, you Yo. anything else? I know we took the Yeah, home. yeah. Uh, do you have a grill watch? See, me personally, I fluctuate back and forth. I'm kind of bipolar with it. But do you have a grill watch? Do I have a grill watch? I think I did have a grill watch, like, when I first started collecting. There were different things that I wanted to not necessarily own or obtain, because I don't really feel like you ever own or, or you know, like, all these things. Even, like, with my Porsche 911, you know, it's funny because uh, that's a car that, that I'm kind of looking after. And Paddock has, like, a really great saying, and it's a, the, I think it's the best marketing campaign in the world. They say you never really own a Patek Philippe. You kind of merely just look after it for the next generation mm. and so hmm. um cool. so i i, I kind of look at it like that right i i think that for me my grail is the next experience that i'm going to have with a watch so i think that there are watches that are that have been looking to experience and have gotten to experience recently um yves saint laurent is a is a big inspiration for me i love him as a designer and i think he did some incredible things and um uh, Yves Saint Laurent wore an automatic Cartier, and I recently got an automatic Cartier into my personal collection. 
um, from the 1970s, and it's an incredible watch, and I'm kind of in that honeymoon phase with it, and I'm wearing it frequently. Um, I don't know if I necessarily have a grill. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think I, I have kind of a lot of my grills already, and that's not something that I, I'm saying as a as from a pretentious perspective. Um, I'm very fortunate, and also, you, you know, have some things in my collection that are that are incredible. But you know, also a grill to me isn't necessarily an expensive watch. Uh, like I, I think, like the Cartier, for example, was like kind of a grail for me, and that's you know, it's a sub you know, $15,000 watch. The Seiko 6309 was kind of a grail for me. I really liked that watch. And it took me a minute to realize that that was a watch that was really going to be a grail for me. And I found a great example and kind of added that into my collection. So I don't know if I have a grail necessarily, but I would say that my my taste and my influences on things are, are definitely always changing. And, um, you know, I'm looking at things uh, differently and the way in the, 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 the process of my evaluation and understanding is through these experiences it's like you know driving a 915 gearbox in a 911 or wearing a Cartier tank automatic or experience a, di- a different exotic dial Paul Newman or something those I think formulate your your taste and your appreciation for things I think it's it's, it's experience that develops that stuff there's a lot of guys out there that are influenced by what other people say and they don't really understand what it is that they're that they're lusting after, right? And so I think mm-hmm. there's a, a difference there, and I think there's a subclass of collectors um, and people that are enthusiasts that you know develop their taste and appreciation for things based on their own experiences and their own independent views on things, which I really love. And there's some things that I just don't dig and I don't like. Like I'm not really a big fan of Richard Mille. You know, that's kind of a Richard Mille. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, yeah. But, you know, um, it's not something that is for me, but there are a few customers and a couple of collectors that have them, and I appreciate them. I think that they're, that they're cool. I think they're interesting. It's, again, it's not a watch for me specifically. It's not a watch that I'll go after, and it's not a watch that I'll push to own, but it's something that I can appreciate, and I love the agree to disagree. That's what makes this this stuff so much fun is you have different tastes and perspective than I do. And I have different tastes and perspective than you do, but together we're able to grow and learn. And that's something that I, I really love and appreciate. Um, so yeah. Well, that's, Absolutely. that's that was a great answer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I would have just said uh, uh, the name of the watch that I wanted and that's it. But no, Cam, every time I hear you speak, you're super quotable. And one of the quotes that kind of really uh, stuck with me was when you said buying vintage is entering into story, becoming a part of a process and being a part of history. That's incredible. That's awesome. That's crazy. So, Cam, uh, I think you took enough of your time. I know you're a busy guy. I really uh, appreciate you coming on the show. P as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So, before we let you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, your YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so you can find us at uh, on on the web at craftandtailored.com. Uh, and then our Instagram is just Instagram, you know, forward slash craftandtailored. And I think the YouTube channel is the same. So just, if you just Google or search Craft and Tailored, you can find us pretty easily. Um, and uh, yeah, feel free to check us out or send me a DM if you listen to the podcast and have a question about something. And, and uh, you know, always happy to pass on what I know and help people learn. So Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. And um, 
you know, I, hopefully we can do something in the, in the future again. And, um, you know, wish you guys all the, all the best success. So thanks again, guys, for having me. Really appreciate it and honored to be a part of, a part of the show. No, thank you. Thank you. We definitely appreciate this. Yeah, no, absolutely, Cam. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you again uh, to Cam, to our guest. Pete, thank you so much. And to everybody listening, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Cam is an incredible person, incredible uh, influencer, although he doesn't want to admit it. And in my opinion, he is. (laughs) And he's a very knowledgeable guy. So thank you again. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And you can find us on YouTube, SoCal Watch Reviews. And my boy P, Ross, Ritz, what's love, and uh, same thing on Instagram, same same name. So yeah, so yeah. Thank thank you again. Any anything you want to say, P, before we we close off? Nah, just keep it real. You know what I'm saying? We bringing that flavor like now, nah, ladies. Come on in. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? get into it. Get involved. Yeah, no, absolutely. So with that said, thank you again for listening, and remember, my friends, stay humble. See you guys. Thanks. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cam. Take care.